So today I get the awesome privilege of being up here and sharing with you guys. I've actually chosen to be a little bit vulnerable today and I'm going to share a little bit of my story. So it's probably going to be more about a testimony rather than a sermon. So it's more about my journey with the Lord and how my love for the Lord um, over time and what it means to me to love God. So my first question for you, which is, this is kind of like the title of my message, I suppose, is God saying to you guys, am I your first love? So I just want you to think about that, ponder that question a little bit, have a look at the answers that I've got up there. Can you say yes? Is your answer no? Maybe? Or are you at the stage where you're like, I'm really going to have to think about that one? So before I get to the place where I talk about what it means for us to love God, I reckon we should be looking at understanding why we're called to love God, which brings me to my first point, which is God's love for us. So we need to understand, which I'm sure you already do, that love comes from God, that God is love. So if you've got your Bibles and you turn with me or read off the screen, 1 John 4, verses 9 to 10, which says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And then in Ephesians 1, Verses 4 to 5, it tells us that even before he made the world, that's a pretty big starting point, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So I'm not sure if um, any of you are like me, but for years and years I have really struggled over and over and over again with the concept of God's love. As most of you know, I've grown up in a Christian family. I've attended church. I've prayed. I've read my Bible. I've done all the right things. I've checked all those boxes. But in my head, I've always known and I've always understood the concept of God's love. I've always believed that God loves me. But in my heart, I've really always had this real problem. In my heart, I never really truly accepted God's love. So I'm a very analytical person and everything is all about thinking things. And if it's right in my head, then then my heart is kind of on board with it. But... For years and years, there was no connection between my head and my heart. For a long time, I felt that I wasn't deserving of God's love. And I used to ask myself over and over again, why? Like the same question, I'm such a why person. Everything's got to have a why to it. So for years, I'd be like, why? Like, why, Lord? Why would a holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, merciful, just God choose to love me. Why? Why would he want to do that? 
And for a long time, I was at this point of my life and I couldn't get any further. So it's kind of like running into a glass wall all the time. I'd want to get further, but I'd just hit my head and fall over. I think this picture clearly sums up me. I'm on the, the left side in case you want to know. So if, if I see something, I'm going to do it because it's there. And you might be the other person because it's there. You're going to sit and you're going to have a little bit of a relax. So if you know me, you'll know that I'm a very driven person. I strive to be a performer or a high achiever. And so if I choose to do something, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it well. I often set myself with unrealistic goals and really high expectations, ones that are actually unachievable. And I struggle a lot with self-criticism. I'm very self-critical. Some of you might be sitting there going, yep, I hear your sister, that's me. Some of you might be like, man, that sounds tiring. I'm so glad I'm not like that. <laughs> it is tiring. <laughs> so some of you might be able to identify with aspects of my personality. But for a long time, these aspects of my personality were such a negative. And I had a really hard time because of my performing nature to receive God's love. I always felt like I had to work to get God's love. I never believed in the whole faith thing. Just have faith that God loves you. I was like, yeah, right, that doesn't work. You've got to work for something to get it in return. So I needed to do all these things to prove to God that, that I deserved his love. I had to tick all those boxes on my checklist and I would do everything I could possibly think of. But then I'd get to the point where I had done everything. I had exhausted myself and the self-criticism came in. And I would get to that stage where I'd feel like I was ready to receive God's love and those thoughts would come in and I'd be like, no, I don't even want it anymore. I don't want God's love. Despite all that effort that I'd put in, I was like, no. So for years I was on this roller coaster ride. I was up, I was down. Nothing I ever did felt right. Nothing ever worked. But everything I did was because I love God. So I don't know whether any of you can identify with that. So I guess the crux of my past life is that I was willing to receive God's love if I put conditions on it, if I put conditions on it. For such a long time, I put conditions on his love and deep down in the bottom of my heart, I never accepted his love. I had totally 100% missed the point of God's love. I was like this little hamster on a wheel. I was running really hard and really fast in the right direction, but I wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> I got really tired and life sucked for a while. So maybe some of you can identify this with this. Maybe some of you know someone that's had similar, ex uh, similar experiences. I know the reasons that we don't trust or receive God's love or trust God is different for every one of us, so I'm not saying that your experience is like mine. We all have different backgrounds and different life stories to tell. I'm not trying to 
belittle the fact that we have a past. But the thing is that I've realised, if we don't get to the place where we accept God's love, no strings attached, we're actually missing out on something. And for years, I was missing out on that. So my second point is responding to God's love. So a few years ago, I was sitting, having a quiet time, and I was still wrestling with this concept of God's love. (laughs) Even though I'd always strived to be close to God, I'd done everything I can, I really wanted that intimate relationship with God. I always felt like there was this massive distance between God and myself. And it was during this time in my life that I was having this quiet time with God that I really, really cried out to him. I was exhausted, like really exhausted, and I wanted off the hamster wheel so bad. I remember sitting there just crying out to the Lord going, what am I missing? Like I know I'm missing something. What is it? What am I missing? I was really broken. And, you know, everything kind of went quiet and went really still. I don't know whether you've had one of those moments. It's kind of a bit freaky. Um, And I heard the Lord speak to me, and it was such a quiet voice that if I wasn't in tune, I wouldn't have actually heard what he was saying. And this is what he said to me. Oh, I can't read that. You will never understand my love if you keep looking to yourself all the time. You need to focus your eyes and your attention on me and have a little faith. Pretty big stuff. (laughs) Can't muddle that up. So I was sitting there and I kind of had, you know, those aha moments, penny drops. I'm sometimes a little bit slow to pick things up. (laughs) I'm not good with jokes. But it was at that point... (laughs) At that point, everything kind of shifted and I began to reread scriptures. So the ones that I just had on the screen before about God's love and why he loves us. And for the first time I was reading them with God as the focus, not myself as the focus. And I genuinely understood at that point in time that I'm not saved because I deserve it. That we're not saved because we deserve it but that you and I are saved because God is gracious. He chose to freely give us, you and I, salvation. And it's because of that that I am holy and blameless in his sight. And you are holy and blameless in his sight. So I guess I got to the point where I figured that it was all about him and it wasn't about me. And it's, sorry to break it to you, not about you either. And I was reading Joyce Meyer's Love Out Loud devotional and I came across this question that she posed in one of her devotions and it's really stuck with me and it just goes with me everywhere. And she wrote, If you loved and valued a group of people so much that you were willing to die for them so they could enjoy their lives, how would you feel if they refused your gift? Big question. So it was at that moment that I'd read that. 
and things were very emotional. If you know me, you know that I like a good cry. And my heart was just flooded with God's love. It's like the floodgates of heaven had just opened. And I was really beginning to understand that idea that God loves me for me. You know, that he loves my imperfections, he loves my flaws, and that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for my weaknesses, my imperfections, and my flaws. But the big thing for me at this point was that I realised I didn't have to refuse his love anymore, that he actually wanted me to accept his gift, the gift of love and the gift of enjoying life. So I have a question for you. Have you ever stopped to think about how God is pleased with you and that he delights in you? Like I know we read scriptures and we go, yeah, yeah, I got it, I get it. You know, he delights in me, yeah, he's pleased with me. But have you really stopped to think about that? So Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I love this scripture. Because in the one hand, it talks about how God loves me and how awesome he is as a mighty saviour. But it also talks about how in his own love, he's not rebuking me. He's not mentioning my sins. So it's just a great relationship. And it's, it's just awesome. So my next question for you is right here, right now, Are you in the place where you believe that scripture? Are you in a place where you can confidently scream to the world, God is pleased with me and he delights in me? Yes? No? So at this point, I was completely overwhelmed with God's love and I was really feeling the weight, in a good way, um, of his love. And I'd finally gotten to the place where I was convinced of his love for me. Are you in that place today? Are you are convinced here without a shadow of any doubt that God absolutely loves you for you? Because we live in a world where it's easy to feel like God doesn't love us. Our minds, our emotions, media, even people in our lives may tell tell us that we aren't lovable or that God doesn't really care about us. But this is such an evil trick of the enemy and it really ticks me off, (laughs) really does. Because we know that he came to rob and to steal. And if we're believing this, then he's robbing us. And he was robbing me for such a long time of this truth. So at the bottom line, 
we don't deserve God's love and we can never be good enough to earn it. But we need to change our mindset to believe that God doesn't love us because we are good, but he loves us because he is good. So again, it's all about God, not about us. It's all about him. So the greatest knowledge that we can ever have is knowing that God treasures us, that we are his children. Which brings me to giving our love to God. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to Luke 10 with me. I'm going to share with you the story of Mary and Martha. I'm sure you're very familiar with this story. So as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. So we've got to recognise that hospitality at this time was a huge deal. It was a social requirement of their culture and it was considered shameful if you would turn someone away from your doors, if you would refuse them hospitality. So this story is of two women, two sisters, who Jesus loved and they loved Jesus. Both women had different ideas of hospitality and serving. So let's look at Martha. So Martha is considered to be the older sister of Mary and Lazarus. In this story, we see that Martha is worried about the details. She's fixated on the details. She's a details person. She wished to please and to serve and she wanted to do all the right things. Perhaps being the oldest, she felt that this was her right, that this was her role, that she needed to do this. Maybe she felt that she needed to make sure that, their get, that her guests were recipients of the best hospitality that she could give in all of the area. And she wanted to ensure that no shame would come upon her family or herself. She often found it hard to relax and struggled to enjoy her guests. She found it harder than that to accept that her sister's lack of cooperation in the preparations was not good enough. So she thought that Mary's style of serving was not up to standard, was not up to her standards. She tended to focus her attention on the needs of her guests rather than on the guests herself, themselves. Sorry. So then we have Mary. Ooh. 
So we see that Mary is depicted at sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. Mary let her older sister take care of the details. Mary was less fastidious about details than Martha was, and she participated very little in preparing the meal. But Mary was focused on the guests rather than their needs. But I've got to say that I often feel real sorry for Martha. I reckon she cops a lot of flack in this story. Maybe that's because I can identify with Martha. (laughs) I'm a real doer. I'm one of those people that will serve and wants to please everybody. I'm often worried about fussing over people that I forget to spend time with them. I get caught up in the details. And I really struggle with getting caught up in doing the right thing. I'm a right thing person. It's the principle of it. (laughs) I've always had it since I was a tater tot. (laughs) And I often feel sorry for myself when my efforts aren't recognised. I love having a pity party. Maybe you're like me and you can identify with Martha or maybe you're naturally like a Mary. Often we hear about this story as Mary versus Martha. I'm not saying that that's wrong. We tend to look at it as criticising Martha's actions and praising Mary's actions. But what I think we get blindsided by is the fact that there is actually a lesson to learn from Mary's actions. I think personally that we should be looking at as Mary and Martha, not pitting one up against the other. So let's fast forward the story of Mary and Martha a little bit further to the Bible's last picture of them, which is in John 12, 1, verses 1 to 3. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honour. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate or reclined with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. So in this story, we see that Jesus is again having a meal in the town of Bethany. And Martha is again serving a meal to Jesus and his disciples. So Martha hasn't stopped serving. But what we see is that she's not grumbling in this story. She's not depicted as having an attitude In fact, she doesn't say anything in this story. She's silent. And then we have Mary. She's again at Jesus' feet. But we see that she's actually washing his feet and wiping them with her hair. So again, they're both serving Jesus. So we see the stories kind of come full circle. Martha didn't stop serving. She didn't throw her hands up in the air when Jesus corrected her. She went, oh, stuff it, I'm just going to be Mary because Mary's easier. Everybody loves Mary. 
She still went on and started serving again, but it wasn't self-serving anymore. She wasn't caught up in the busyness of serving, in the details. And we see that Mary has learned that sitting and being with the Lord and focusing her attention on him is good. She's still doing that. But she's learned that there's actually times when action, that doing, is appropriate and often necessary. And in Mary's case, we know that her act of servants here was actually significant because Jesus said her deed will be remembered and discussed wherever the good news is preached. So in both of these stories, we see two women, two sisters, that both loved God and wanted to serve him. I believe at times God calls us to be a Mary and a Martha. If you find yourself being a Martha, don't condemn yourself. Don't feel guilty, because for such a long time I felt guilty for being a doer, for having to do things. And I used to beat myself up going, why can't I just be like that? Why can't I just sit there and not do? There's nothing wrong with doing things to serve God. We just need to be careful. So, if you find yourself being a Martha, don't get too focused on the details. Don't lose sight of the fact of why you're serving in the first place. Don't let your actions become self-serving. And make sure you set those priorities. Make sure your work for God or your serving is motivated by your love for him, not the satisfaction that you can get out of it or the recognition that you get. And if you find yourself being a Mary, you enjoy being with the Lord and you enjoy sitting and being silent and dedicating your attention to him, that's great. But you also need to be careful. Make sure that you're not focusing all your attention on spending time with the Lord, that you don't listen when he calls you to act. When he calls you to do something, don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Be obedient and take action when he commands. There are times for being devoted to God, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, where sitting still and listening is great. But I also believe that there are times when God does call us for action, that he does call us to be obedient. If we all strive to be Mary, then there's no opportunity for us to be Martha. And if we all strive to be Martha, then there's no opportunity for us to be a Mary. So I think balance is in order. I think there needs to be a balance between Mary and Martha, balance of the roles. So loving God is a decision that you and I choose to make every single day. We know that we are to love God because he first loved us. I'm not perfect. There are days where I don't feel like loving God. 
and giving the busyness of society, there are times where I find that I'm just too busy to love God. And he tends to get flicked to the back burner. I'm not sure if you're like that. If everything in your life was taken away, would your relationship with God be enough? Some wise woman told me that one day. I don't know who that would be. If you could ask for only one thing, what would that one thing be? Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, in his presence all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty, the delightful loveliness and majestic grandeur of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Aren't they amazing words? (coughs) They're ones that you can't take lightly. This is a dove, in case you didn't know. The thing about doves is that they have a fixed field of vision. I don't know whether you knew this. They can only focus on one thing at a time. So when a dove sees something or something captures its attention, the dove's eyes are trained to focus on that one thing. Usually it's their mate. So the dove is undistracted from this focal point. We see that the Bible talks about dove's eyes in Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are like doves. This is the groom talking about the bride, saying that her eyes are like doves. His eyes sparkle like doves beside springs of water. They are set like jewels. This is the bride talking about the groom and his eyes. So we see in this scripture that God has doves' eyes for us, for his church, for his bride. And the scripture is saying that we have to have doves' eyes as well. We are called as his bride to have dove's eyes for him. That we're fixated on God, that he captures our attention and that we're not distracted from focusing on him. It's pretty big considering how busy we are. We have families, we have work commitments, we have study. I know that my actions are accountable to the Lord. And the Bible says in Romans 14, 12, that one day we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to have to give an account of our life. And I know without any shadow of a doubt, not one ounce, that I want to be able to stand there on that day before God and say in full confidence that he was my number one that I loved him above everything. 
my husband, my family, my own life, my possessions. I want to be confident to say that I had dove's eyes for the Lord. Jesus is going to come, probably when we least expect it, and it's going to be too late. It'll be too late to have those dove's eyes. It'll be too late to want those dove's eyes. So my challenge for you today is to not let this opportunity pass you by. Don't wait for another day because you might find that it's too late. So you might be sitting here today and you don't fully know how much God loves you. Or maybe you haven't responded to God's love. Maybe you haven't really accepted his love. Or you don't fully love yourself like God does. Maybe you need to make a stand today to choose to believe what God says about you. Or maybe you're at the stage where you've got all that, but you've let things get in the way of your devotion to God. Maybe he's not your first priority anymore. So today I really want to come back to recapturing God as our first love. So I'm going to play a song now called You Are My One Thing, and it's by Hannah McClure in Bethel. (laughs) So as you listen to the song, I want you to spend time with God. Really meditate on the words and check your heart. Is God your number one? If he isn't, ask him to show you why. Ask him to reveal to you what is stealing your focus. And ask him to take you back to that place where your heart was only about him, where you pursued him above everything else. So I just want to end on this question. It's God speaking to us again. And now he's asking, can he be your first love? What's your answer going to be? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for how much you love us. Lord, I thank you that you are so powerful, that you are majestic and that you are a just God and that you never let us down, Lord. Father, we know that we can't do anything to earn your favour and there's nothing we can do to win any more of your love. I thank you, Lord, that your love has no conditions. Lord, I thank you that you sing over us, that you delight in us, Lord, and that you pursue us, Father. I thank you for being a gentleman, Lord. Lord, today, as we leave this place, may you come and do what you want to do, Lord. Lord, may you come and rip down 
any boxes that we've put you in, Lord, any walls that we've put up, Lord. May you come and remove anything that we are fixated on, Lord. Lord, may we choose today to have dove's eyes for you, Lord. May we choose to come back to that place where our heart was all about you, Lord, where you are our one thing, where you are our first love. Lord, today I pray that you would remind us to walk close to you and to be with you every day, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would just have a heart in us, Lord, where we want to long for you, Lord, where our souls can't be quenched, Lord, where we can never have enough of you, Lord. And Lord, I just pray today that we would choose to stand, that no matter what happens, that no matter what comes in our paths, Lord, that we would choose you, Father, that you would be our number one, Lord. Pray, Lord, most of all, that you would help us to see ourselves the way you do, that we would love ourselves the way you do, Lord.